Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. We are going to look at the second feast in the season of tabernacles. We began this final season of the feasts, the biblical feasts, and we talked about the Feast of Trumpets last week. And through our study of the Festival of Trumpets, we learned that trumpets became a symbol to the Hebrews of God's voice, his communication with them, and his amazing triumph. We saw this illustrated perfectly through the Battle of Jericho, We talked about the fact that the people were to march around the city walls in complete silence, which boggles my mind that that is humanly possible for that many people to be quiet. But I guess when God's giving the orders, you do that, exactly what you're told reverently. But after these long blasts of a trumpet, shouts, then they were allowed to shout, For the Lord had given them the city, and then that resulted in the conquering of the city of Jericho, just like God had promised. And so we made the connection last week that this is why the Jews referred to God as the horn of their salvation. That ram's horn that made the shofar became a specific symbol of God's ability to deliver his people like he did in Jericho that day. And we made the point that King David calls him the God, the horn of his salvation in Psalms 18. In whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation and my stronghold. That this idea does not just apply to God's people as a whole, but it applies to us individually. God will deliver us. God will help us through our trials. And then in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 1, we realized that Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, identified Jesus Christ as the horn of our salvation when he said, Blessed be the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us. The message is clear. And so through this study, we see that Jesus wants us to enter into this season of peace by allowing him to fight our battles with us and to fight our battles for us. Are you thankful to know that God wants to be in your life in that way? We understand that this Feast of Trumpets represents the fifth step that we take as believers towards God. This fifth step representing engaging in spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, Paul teaches extensively about this concept to say we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil. This is a spiritual battle that we are involved in and we do not have to fight them alone. We have a victorious God of trumpets who walks beside us. He walks ahead of us. He follows us. He surrounds us and we can walk in that victory. Amen. And finally, the literal fulfillment of this feast will be when the last trumpet sounds. That the ultimate fulfillment 
of the Feast of Tabernacles because it has not happened yet will be when Jesus Christ comes again to the earth. John put it this way, the seventh angel blew his trumpet and loud voices in heaven said the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. Amen. And I just want to pause here and say I pray that this study has been a blessing to you. We have one more week and we will conclude it. And I just want us to, I hope, be able to see God's reach for mankind in the Old Testament. It's not just in the New Testament that God shows up to make a difference in our lives. But all through the Old Testament, we have seen how God intentionally, systematically revealed himself and his plan to his people through these feasts of the Lord. They were much more than just sacred holy days. They were much more than just traditions that the Hebrews had. But these feasts are meant to provide illustrations for us of God, what God wants to do and who he wants to be in our lives. And so quickly, I wanted to review as we have added another step in our approach towards God through these sacred days that the, through the Passover, we invite God into our lives. Through unleavened bread, we repent. Through first fruits, we are baptized. Through Pentecost, we are filled with the Spirit. And then last week, through the Feast of Trumpets, we engage in spiritual warfare because ready or not, When you are filled with the Spirit, you become target of the enemy because he is afraid of the power that you have been entrusted with. Amen. And so tonight we continue our study with this final feast season, the one in the middle, the Feast of Atonement. And remember, for the sake of review, that Passover season taught us how to experience God's, does anybody remember the first P? God's peace. Pentecost teaches us how to experience God's power. There it is. In tabernacles, we are learning to experience God's rest, and we are very thrilled by that. All right, so let's look again to Leviticus 23, reading verses 26 through 32 in the NLT. Then the Lord said to Moses, Be careful to celebrate the day of atonement. On the tenth day of the same month, nine days after the festival of trumpets, You must observe it as an official day for holy assembly, a day to deny yourselves and present special gifts to the Lord. Do no work during that entire day because it is the day of atonement when offerings of purification are made for you, making you right with the Lord your God. All who do not deny themselves that day will be cut off from God's people. God is taking this very seriously, it sounds like. And I will destroy anyone among you who does any work on that day. You must not do any work at all. Did anybody get the message? No work, a day of solemn rest. This is a permanent law for you. It must be observed from generation to generation wherever you live. This will be a Sabbath day of complete rest. We're in the season of rest. Isn't it interesting for you? And on that day, you must deny yourselves. This day of rest will begin at sundown on the ninth day of the month and extend until sundown on the tenth day. So the day of atonement was the tenth day of the seventh month 
on the Jewish calendar. Now remember the Feast of Trumpets that we did last week was the first day of this same month. The word atonement, I think, can be one of those nice KJV words that lose its meaning over time or we just never knew what it meant to begin with, but it sounds right, so we use it. But the word atonement means to cover. The day of atonement was the one day a year that the high priest could go behind the veil into the Holy of Holies and ask for God to cover the sins of the entire nation. This is a very big moment in the calendar year for the Jewish people. Think of it with me. It is so unlike anything that we have experienced in our relationship with God. This idea that one day a year, one person could go into the most holy place in the temple and ask God's forgiveness on behalf of everyone else. So foreign to us, isn't it? And yet in this time and place, this was serious business. Because as we have seen, God takes sin very seriously. Death had always been a requirement to cover sin. And on the Day of Atonement, the priest would pull back the veil to enter the holy place. Interesting to me, it was a place of complete darkness in the temple. The only piece of furniture there was the Ark of the Covenant. And it was above the Ark that the presence of God was. And so it was on the lid of the Ark, a place called the Mercy Seat, that the priest would go in and sprinkle the blood of the sacrifice. Now, another way to explain this concept or the purpose of atonement would be to be reconciled. Isn't that a wonderful word to hear? That here in the word itself, in the word atonement, we find the purpose of this holy day. This day was set aside to put God's people back in right standing with him. There are many instructions, as you will see, given concerning the Day of Atonement. But for the sake of time, we will not read all of them together. You are devastated, as am I. You're just going to have to take my word for it on some of this stuff. But what we are going to look at together, we're going to find great significance in the instructions that God gave to the Hebrews for this feast as we have with every other holy day that we've studied. So let's look at the instructions together real quick. So recapping the verses that we read, on the Day of Atonement, it was the only required fast day in the Bible. Did you notice those words, afflict yourself, uh, deny yourself, was said repeatedly. This idea is throughout that portion in Leviticus 23 that this was not a holly jolly holiday for the Hebrews. This was a day of national mourning and sorrow. They afflicted themselves. David said, I humbled myself with fasting. The idea was they were humbling themselves before God because they understood the significance of this moment in their calendar. Number two, it was a yearly offering made by fire to the Lord. 
It required a blood offering that could only be made by one person, the high priest, on this particular day of the year. The instructions for this offering are specific and very tedious. And if you want to review them in all of their glory, Leviticus chapter 16 makes for good bedtime reading. But I am just going to read for you verse 2. The Lord said to Moses, warn your brother Aaron not to enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever he chooses. He could only do it on this day. If he does, he will die. Oh God. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement is there, and I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. And so number three, it was a day of solemn rest, a Sabbath day. No work was to be done. It will be a Sabbath day of complete rest for you, Leviticus says. You must deny yourself. So it wasn't just that they had a big day off, but can you imagine having a day off and not eating anything? Oh my word, no. On my day off, I go to Chick-fil-A for lunch because that is how I celebrate my day off, but not on the Day of Atonement, people. Absolutely not. Number uh, four, it was a day of judgment. This is a permanent law for you to purify the people of Israel from their sins, making them right with the Lord once each year. Think of that. And so they approached this day as a nation fearfully and very reverently. This is very interesting. The Jews believe that the final judgment day will take place on the day of atonement. Isn't that interesting to think about? Because of this belief, the Jewish people do many good deeds between the Feast of Trumpets and the Day of Atonement. In fact, these 10 days are referred to in their culture as the awesome days or the 10 days of repentance. It's a similar phenomenon that happens every December with little children. We have an elf on the shelf. Absolutely, we will take all the help we can get in the Ellis household to get people to comply and be nice to each other because Chippy is watching and he's going to report to Santa. And so that's kind of the same idea here. Everybody's on, the best, on their best behavior because the day of atonement is coming. All right. And so I think we've established that this is a sober day on the Jewish calendar. And in fact, it was the most sacred day of the year because life and death were literally hanging in the balance when the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. And so before moving into Jesus in the Day of Atonement, I want to quickly highlight another aspect of the feast in Leviticus 16. Especially if you read it, you're going to be like, why didn't she say anything about this? This is disturbing. So it's just too interesting to skip over. So let me just throw this at you real quick. Per God's instructions, the priest was to present two goats to the Lord. Everybody say two goats. Two goats. All right. You can find this in verses 15 through 22 if you want to go back and look. But after the priest would cast lots to decide which lucky goat got to be the sacrifice at the moment, it would be that goat's blood that would be sprinkled on the mercy seat. But I don't know that the other goat's fate was any better because... The other goat was to be led into the wilderness 
by the priest. And the priest would tie a crimson thread around the horns of that scapegoat and tie another piece of the same thread to the door of the temple. The goat would then be led by the priest to a cliff where it would be pushed off. Isn't that sad? But when the goat died, this is so interesting to me, according to Jewish writings, the thread would turn from red to white. It was then that they knew God had accepted their sacrifice and would cover their sins. This thread illustrated for them the words of the prophet Isaiah when he said, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And if you study this, you can look up some articles that, according to Jewish writings, 40 years before the crucifixion, the thread stopped turning white. That sacrifice apparently was no longer enough. And we know why, right? Because Jesus was about to be born to fulfill this day of atonement. So now let's look at Jesus and the day of atonement because this is very exciting. Number one, Jesus fulfilled the spiritual aspects of this feast when he shed his blood for our sins on the cross. I love what the book of Hebrews says about all this. We're going to read several verses from it. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus paid it all when he died on the cross. Amen. Number two, Jesus' perfect sacrifice removed our sin from us. It didn't just cover it up till the next day of atonement, right? But Psalm says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove Not some animal's blood, but Jesus' blood removes our sin from us. Jesus wants to purify our lives from sin is the next point. And I love what John says about this in his letter. But if we walk in the light, we keep moving, we keep growing in our relationship with God. As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. It's an ongoing process in our lives. It's not a one and done situation where the blood is applied and you're good to go, but we have the opportunity to walk in repentance and forgiveness until Jesus calls us home. Amen. Number four, Jesus became our high priest. No longer Do we have to wait one day a year for someone else to ask for forgiveness for our sins? But Hebrews says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. You and I can approach the mercy seat because of what Jesus did at Calvary. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help 
in time of need. Have you ever done that before? Where you approached the throne of grace because you understood that you could, that you were allowed, that you could make petition, that you could confess your sins yourself and to God alone, thankfully, and that he will forgive you every time. Amen. And so let's make the application to our lives here as we go to our app time before dark. Here we go. I think the application of this feast is probably especially clear uh, compared to some of the feasts. But the Holy of Holies, I want to point out, was a place of darkness. It represented that day in the Old Testament represented God's judgment on his people. But it was also a place of mercy. You know, it's interesting that it was called the mercy seat. It could have been called a lot of things. It could have been called the seat of judgment. And yet God called it the mercy seat. Isn't that perfectly sum up the difference between the way God sees us and the way we see ourselves? That you and I could look at the day of atonement and those events and all that was required and see God's judgment and the reality of what we need. We needed to be judged. We were in wrong. And yet God said, no, the purpose of this day is not just to judge your sin, but to cover your sin with my amazing mercy. Aren't you thankful that you serve a God who loves you like that, who views this whole process with love and compassion on you and I and our sins? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, three of the four gospel writers, all make sure that we know that the moment that Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. Matthew says, Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit, meaning he died. And behold, the curtain of the temple. What was behind the curtain? Remember? The mercy seat was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. First Kings records that Solomon's temple was 30 cubits high. This means it would have been 45 feet tall. So that's how big this veil is. I want you to see how miraculous this is. The first century Jewish historian Josephus records that Herod extended the temple's height to about 60 feet tall. And the veil would have been that high. And it would have been about four inches thick. Unlike any curtain you and I have in our houses. And the fact that that veil was not torn from the bottom to the top, but from the top to the bottom means God was sending a very specific message that day. It was much more than God's flexing after the cross to establish his power in the earth. But God was saying, there is no longer any separation between us and him. That barrier had been removed through Jesus' amazing sacrifice for us. And so here we see an undeniable example of how the Old Testament and the New Testament work together to point us to Jesus and his plan to redeem us back to himself. Hebrews 7 verses 26 through 27 say, For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, talking about Jesus, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above 
the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Amen. Hebrews 10 verse 12 says, But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. Do you see the writer from Hebrews wants us to understand what Jesus did for us? This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. That's Pentecost, right? Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. There it is, the Feast of Atonement. And because Jesus fulfilled the Day of Atonement, we can dwell with him every day. We can experience his forgiveness and his mercy each day. We can walk with him. We can approach him, not through a temple made with someone's hands, not through this huge curtain veil keeping us separated from his awesome holy presence. His presence is no longer just on the other side of that veil, but he said, I will be in you. I will dwell with you. Amen. Jesus died for you and I, Paul said, before we even knew him. That is the extent, that is the awesome demonstration of how much God loves us that before we knew him, before we chose him, he made all of this possible for you and I. And so let us go to our app time. What does the application and meaning of the day of atonement look like in our everyday spiritual lives? All right, so find someone around you if you want to cross the aisle and pair up with somebody who's alone. That would be great, too. Let's look at this together. And I'll invite you to stand with me after you've concluded. But I just can't in good conscience close this, this lesson without us singing one of those old powerful songs about the blood. All right, are you ready? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Think about it. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me 
white as snow, no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's just thank him for his blood. I love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that I can better understand what you did for me, Lord. You became my high priest. You stood in the gap. You were that mediator that we needed, Lord. Only you could do it. And I'm so thankful, Lord, that you did it for me before I knew you, before I had the chance to choose you, God. You showed your love to me on the cross. You covered my sin and you remove our sin that we can walk in the light and your blood will continue to cover us. Thank you, Jesus. The Feast of Atonement was not about God's judgment, but it was about God's amazing grace. We certainly will fail. We will struggle. We have to deny ourselves. We have to carry our cross But we have a high priest who identifies with all of those struggles and he will help us. I want to read in conclusion for you from Hebrews 4 verses 9 through 16. And I realize you might recognize a couple of these verses, but together they provide such powerful truth for us. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, that season of rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his, his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Not the judgment seat, but the throne of grace. That we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. Are you thankful you serve a God like that? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just thank him again, Lord. We love you. Thank you for your awesome work on the cross, God, and what you continue to do in our lives, Lord, that you're with us, you're fighting alongside us, and you have paid the price for all of sin, for all of time. We love you. Go with us now, Jesus. Bring us back safely to your house on Sunday if you should tarry. In Jesus' name, amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. 
consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.